Welcome to Mental Health Explored, a podcast created by TogetherWell.org. We are a nonprofit dedicated to eliminating systemic barriers to mental health education, resources, and tools. We bring you the voice of vetted and credentialed mental health professionals. I am Michelle Thompson. And I'm Beth Rice. We're TogetherWell volunteers and the co-hosts of Mental Health Explored. Although we're not professionals in the mental health field, we have access to lots of great people who are. And we have questions just like you. Join us as we explore a wide range of mental health topics. Content warning. This episode includes discussions of sexual health and wellness. It's intended for mature audiences only. As we move through life, we receive messages that influence our attitudes towards sexual pleasure. For some, these messages may include oppression, shame, or guilt. Dr. Lawanda Hill speaks to the importance of reintroducing the understanding that pleasure is our birthright. It begins with awareness to question the messages that may not be serving us and then giving ourselves permission to go down a radically different path from what we've been taught or maybe not taught at all. We ask people how they learned about the birds and the bees. Here are a couple representative responses. I first learned about the birds and the bees through sex ed in elementary school, where the education was pretty surface level, as you might expect. Taking one semester of health was also mandatory in my freshman year in high school, and that's where I expected the program to go into more depth than what I had learned in elementary school. But since that short class had to cover a bunch of different topics, sex was rushed through. I ended up learning most of what I know through online media and discussions with friends. Growing up, talking with my mother about sex was not an option, and I still would never to this day. If I had, it would have not just been uncomfortable, but shaming, which is probably why it sent a message that talking about sex with adults is unsafe. Talking to friends about sex was the only viable option. While none of us wanted to admit that we didn't know the answers, we did have that one friend in our group who would ask her mother, and I remember being shocked that she felt that comfortable to talk to her mom. In hindsight, teen pregnancy runs in my family, so it's pretty sad this wasn't more of a safe conversation. As we move through the teen years and into adulthood, we continue forming perceptions about how sexual experiences should be. However, at times, reality may be very different. Because sex was viewed as taboo, there's a built-up false perception of what the experience really is. The idea that sex is supposed to be earth-shattering, a fireworks display, or swing you into the next dimension just isn't accurate. So when you're on your first adventures, this can be a mixed message. What am I missing? In this episode, we delve into how numerous influences throughout life affect our ability to experience sexual pleasure. I'd like to welcome our guest for today's podcast, Dr. Lawanda Hill. She actually specializes in sexual wellness for Black women and women of color. She's a provocateur of change who holds space for women to embrace their full sexuality, passion, and fierceness while shedding internalized messages that are oppressive and self-sacrificing. Dr. Hill's philosophy is built on the notion that as individuals, we do not exist in a vacuum. Therefore, she assists her clients in exploring the cultural, contextual, and systemic factors that may be restricting and ultimately impacting their overall psychological health and well-being. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice. So honestly, I have been 
so excited about this topic. I have never talked to someone in this setting about sex. I mean, I have conversations with friends and such, but you know, it it is a topic that is tricky in our society. And the more I learn about this world, the more I see how controlled and subliminally Mm -hmm. constricted it is. Mm -hmm. Like in Mm -hmm. cultures, you know, there's just so much. And I would love to learn more about how you got to where you are. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just dive right into some Mm -hmm. questions. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So when you look back over your time in, in your role, what was it that inspired you to actually pursue this area of focus? And I know your focus is primarily on Black women and uh, women of color, but in general, what mm-hmm. was that fire that lit mm-hmm. underneath you? Well, it was definitely a journey, right? I know that I didn't start with women of color and Black women. I started a long ways back. So mm-hmm. I am the last of 10. So my mom and my dad together had seven boys and three girls. And we come from a very rural, small town in northern Louisiana. And there was minimal to no information about adolescent development, let alone sexuality development. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the onset of my journey, really and truly. I've always been very like, I'm going to find the answers. I just have a very vivid memory of me coming into my sexuality as an adolescent girl, which is developmentally appropriate from 12, at 12, that's the onset. We continue to develop, hopefully, over our lifetime. But at 12 is when we really start our development. I just remember having so many questions and I have a very distinct memory of asking my mom like, hey, so when are we going to have the talk about the birds and the bees? Yeah. You know, this is the language that I've heard from TV and stuff. So I don't even know. I'm just like, okay, I got to find a way to kind of like broach it with her. And she was very clear. Her answer was, we're not. Mm-hmm. We're not. Wow. We're not going to talk about it. And I was kind of like, well, damn. Dissatisfied with the note she received from her mother that day, the future Dr. LaWanda Hill went looking for answers. Whether or not the information was accurate was a different story to be sorted out later in her college years. So I was like, well, if she's not going to give me the information, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to find it. Mm-hmm. So I went to hip hop. I went to the media, I went to peers, and then I started getting all of these messages, like asking anybody that I knew. I'm a scientist, I'm a social scientist by nature, so I'm curious. So I'm trying to like gather the information, wrong information, of course, by the way, I just want to say completely wrong information that I don't figure out until I get to college. And, you know, I pursue psychology. It's a long story, but I promise it lands in a fun place. So I get to college and I'm looking at all sexuality development and I realize I have to go to grad school to really take a deeper dive into this. And it is in grad school that I begin to learn, oh, wow, my experience is common. What I wanted to know is developmentally appropriate. Specifically in the black culture, there's messages we take in. There's messages that they put out. We don't really have ownership of our pleasure. So my dissertation became centered on Black adolescent sexuality development because of my own experience. They'll tell you research is me search. Mm -hmm. So my research was me search. It was kind of like, let me figure out how I came to these messages. And once I opened Pandora's box, all of the things came out. And so it kind of led me to this journey of adulthood and pleasure. And then specifically women and then specifically Black and brown women. So my journey really started with a closed door. I was curious. I didn't have the answer. Mm-hmm. So 
I've spent my life trying to find the answers. I don't know how much it's changing, but I I think it's just something that is so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for parts of our culture in different countries that they just think it's better to not talk about it. And I don't know where it's expected that we're going to learn. Like you really (laughs) don't. There's no place unless you literally go out and seek the information and and hope and pray that That it's the right information. And most of the time Mm -hmm. it's It's not, not. (laughs) you know, you, you're like, wait, that didn't work. Exactly. I, I completely agree. In a March 2020 blog article titled Sex Positivity 101, Dr. Hill writes about how Black women are hypersexualized in hip-hop culture and how women are valued primarily for providing sexual pleasures and favors. She says that emotional component of sex and sexuality is lacking. And she argues that what's needed is a crash course on sex positivity to deconstruct and reconstruct the scripts or messages that influence our choices surrounding sex. Therefore, critical discourse is needed to discern the helpful messages from the harmful ones. So there's a term called sex positivity. I don't know if you all are familiar with it, but we we are not a sex positive country. This is, you know, we feel like, oh, this must be the norm, but we're not a sex positive country. I know this because I've taught at the University of Houston, Stanford, University of San Francisco. All of these are very diverse institutions and University of Houston, I think, is the fourth most ethnically diverse. In San Francisco, we bring in all the international students. So when I have, I teach these classes on sexuality and gender issues and therapy. And my students come from all over the globe. And they're like, what is up with this particular culture specifically? It's almost worse. Around sexuality. Yes. It's worse. Yes. And so it's like, we're not, we're not a sex positive nation Mm-mm. in general. No. We play one on TV. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. We play one on TV. I'm going to have to use that. Yeah. As women, how often do we catch ourselves putting everyone's needs before our own? For example, we might be running ragged all day long, helping the people around us with a myriad of chores or work requests. In the process, we might even utter the words, it's my pleasure. But when it comes to prioritizing what's truly pleasurable for ourselves, How many of us do so without feeling guilt or shame? Is this habit of putting others' needs before our own the reason why women might hesitate or withhold experiencing pleasure within a sexual context? The question is not, why do we withhold pleasure? The question becomes, why is there messaging that makes us feel that we should be not worthy of it? Yeah. Specifically as women. Because let me be very clear. Pleasure is something that is a loud message out there. It's just not for women. It's for men. Yeah, that's a good point. It is men. Think about any sex scene or just romantic scene or hot and heavy scene, right? That you've ever seen on TV, that you've ever heard in any lyrics. Who is the center of that pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. We see very much so... People coming in the room and taking each other's clothes off. And it's just like this quick, we get to pleasure, right? Women's sexuality is complex. Very rarely do we respond to pleasure in that way. 75% of women do not experience orgasms and penetrative heterosexual sex. You know why? Because our pathway to orgasm is through clitoral stimulation. It's not through just vaginal penis penetration. But what do you see? Forecasted, 
that type of sexuality, that type of pleasure. Yep. So it's not about us. So we learn these messages subliminally. Oh, okay, I guess that's what I need to do. I guess that's how I should perform. But it's really not... It's not your pleasure. And then you start to think, I don't work right. Like, something's wrong with me. The orgasm gap, sometimes called the pleasure gap, refers to a consistent disparity seen in research showing that heterosexual women have far fewer orgasms during partnered sex than heterosexual men. And this may be due to a lack of understanding about bodies. An understanding of your anatomy and the anatomy of your partner can dramatically affect your sex life. Knowing your own body can empower you to guide another person around it, increasing your pleasure and their confidence. And then guess what? Even worse, women will fake orgasms. Yeah. We model what we see and we perform. Yeah. And we perform pleasure. We perform moaning. We perform groaning. And also, if we're heterosexual, I'm not even talking about lesbian, queer. They they don't have the orgasm gap. Let me be very clear. I say this on every interview I do. If I were to be boldly attracted to women, I would be so on it because they do not (laughs) experience the level of orgasm gap that we do because they don't have the same scripts that we're adhering to. Okay. Yeah. So, but when in our scripts, when you are, I'm just talking about heterosexuality now, cis man, cis woman, we are so socialized to center our male partner's ego. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what are they going to say? Did you come? Are you coming? Is it pleasurable? I do these workshops. So I hear women's, you know, reasons as to why they perform all the time. And they're like, well, I didn't want to shadow his ego. Well, I didn't want to, you know, make him feel bad. And I don't know if y'all remember, I'm old school. So Seinfeld episode. You faked with me? Yeah. You faked with me. And Lorraine is talking to, uh, Seinfeld, and she's like, he's like, what about the breathing, the moaning, the screaming? Fake, 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 fake. It's all fake. They're performing. (laughs) Where do messages about sex come from? Here in the States, sex education is often introduced in middle school. The message about sex in this setting might focus on changes to the body and reproduction. This idea is echoed by one of our survey respondents. What I learned in school was very much based on what the book shared and only that. It was focused on a limited view of the male and the female anatomy. There was mention of STDs, the menstrual process and a bit on a birth control. There was absolutely nothing on a sexual pleasure. As I got older, my mom passively mentioned how I should not have a sex until I was married as that was a sin. I was not comfortable asking any questions. By my mid to late teens, my friends were having sex and I was learning bit through what they shared with me. But that was not very helpful. Sex is also tied to undesirable consequences like pregnancy and disease. Some schools provide free condoms whereby the message might be interpreted as carry on but use caution. If you're a member of certain religious faiths, the message you might get about sex is that it's a sinful, shameful activity, but only prior to marriage. After marriage, sex is instantaneously and profoundly sacred. But what's missing from some of these scenarios, says Dr. Hill, is the discussion of pleasure. 
Most of the people, most of my students, most of the women that I serve, most of my elders who've taught me have said that they learned about sex ed from their gym, their gym coach. Mm-hmm. It was always risk oriented. Right. Reproductive. Right. Like what is your function and mm-hmm. menstruation? Because you are an adolescent girl and you need to know about that. Pleasure never covered. Yeah. Which means it was just purely anatomy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Purely what's physiological. I asked my mom, I don't know what y'all got, but my mom was like, I'm trying to pay these bills. I don't have time (laughs) to talk to you about anything beyond that. And then in the church, we're very heavily Christian. I would even argue white evangelical Christian nations from the church. Purity culture is taught. Yeah. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden you're supposed to be no information and abstinent. And then all of a sudden you're just supposed to arrive. I gave a list of participants uh, of several topics, like 25. And I asked them during adolescence, who was the person to give you your primary informant? Second, what were the topics that they covered? Mm. And it was extensive from masturbation to pleasure to reproductive to STIs to pregnancy. And they all focused on the top three, uh, prevention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all these other topics that's related to pleasure never covered. Mm. So true. For either sex. No. (laughs) And so then you get in a relationship mostly heterosexual, right? You have two people that don't know what they're doing, Mm -hmm. right? The man might know just because he's had a ton of practice, most likely, um, even if it was Mm self-practice. It's like you have two people that have no clue what they're doing, coming together, trying to act like the TV show. And the odds is in his favor. Oh, yeah. Why? Because he's going, he receives pleasure from the penis head. Like, so just through friction alone. Yeah. He doesn't even have to work at it. It's going to give him pleasure. He'll get to try. He could be terrible and he will still have an orgasm. No. Women cannot, their eyes are not not in in our favor. (laughs) Since we've gone in this direction, I'd like to talk about the physiology, because I think we've got this this platform here mm-hmm. and, you know, we're we're focusing on the mental health perspective around mm-hmm. wellness, not just sexual wellness, but the integration of sexual wellness into your overall wellness. Can you talk to us about mm-hmm. what's happening from a hormonal, from the physiological mm-hmm. standpoint mm-hmm. that is so important to your mental and physical wellness? Okay, so I'm going to talk less hormonal and more about just the sexual response cycle and what happens at the end of it, mm-hmm. norepinephrine, endorphins, mood, how that impacts mood. And how that contributes to wellness. I'm an educator in my core. The reality of it is that we are not siloed individuals, right? So we're not just mental. We're not just physical. We're not just spiritual for those of us who believe that. We're not just sexual. We're not just professional. We're all of these these things at once. So all of these aspects of wellness collectively work together to contribute to our mental health and well-being. It's to the extent that we are thriving in professional wellness, if that's your thing, mental wellness, emotional wellness, sexual wellness, that we're well. So when we don't, one of the, I would argue, pathways to wellness, which is mental health and well-being, like I I fundamentally believe that wellness is having mental health and well-being, is sexual pleasure. That's a pathway. Let's say everything else is going wrong in your life. Unemployed, maybe, you know, spiritually in a crisis, (laughs) Physically, maybe not at your best. Sexual wellness is a space for there to be pleasure 
um, that could contribute to overall well-being. You have to touch during sexual encounters, even if it doesn't lead to orgasm, because I'm not orgasm-centered, I'm pleasure-centered. So even if you don't have an orgasm and you had pleasure, that was a win for you. So touch activates you. It makes you feel a sense of connection, a, a sense of belonging, a sense of well-being. Then you begin to be touched in the right place. You begin to be kissed. You begin to be caressed. Then there is a sense of care, right? And concern that's going to uh, activate a different set of what we call neurons, neurotransmitters. Okay. Then that's just getting you activated. Let's say you're really into it. You're really into a person. You're connected to a person. You're engaging. And then you experience this peak in pleasure. Hopefully, if you're not, call me. You get to this peak in pleasure, and then that's going to release a sense of stress. Uh, it's going to lower your cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone. It's going to make you feel more relaxed. It's going to make you feel more, connect feel more connected. If you don't believe me, Google it. There's tons of research to support that. Self-pleasure and or partner pleasure um, reduces stress, increases a sense of sleep, improves mood. All of these things that's related to our mental health and well-being. But because we've been so conditioned, I would argue, because conditioned is systematic, it's not happenstance, because we've been conditioned to only associate sex with procreation, reproduction, or male-centered pleasure, we don't think of it as a sense of, ooh, I'm stressed out. I should have sex with my partner. I know what to take me out. <laughs> Orgasm, release, <laughs> I'm going to go to sleep, right? We don't associate these things. And I know, you know, there's cultural, yeah. black and brown folks specifically have a different set of... Um, restrictions in that regard to get to that place. But all of these things, biologically, what we call biopsychosocial model is contributing to this release of all we need that controls our mood. The same way running does, mm -hmm. the same way food does, the same way gathering in community does. All of these things, we're, we are souls, but we're also cognitive people. So we have these neurons firing all the time and different things bring that to us. And sex and pleasure is one of those things. What does being a provocateur mean? And why does Dr. Hill consider herself one? I consider myself a provocateur because every aspect of this country has been created to deprive Black people folks in general, Black women specifically, of pleasure. So for me to say pleasure and not suffering, not oppression, not marginalization, not racism, not sexism, not all the isms, is not all you are. Pleasure is a piece of what your birthright is. It may not seem like it, but that is provocative Yeah. to say, wait, so it's more to our world than just suffering, than just fighting, to just asking for equal rights, to asking for equity, not enduring the trauma of our ancestors, still working to have equitable pay, still working to overcome all of the microaggressions and racism. We have systems at us all the time. So if I say, hey, they exist. And also for just a moment, I want you to focus on your pleasure. That is provocative in our community. Yeah. And so it's intended to push back against everything that I just mentioned that seeks to consume our world. It just wants to consume us. You know, I think we, yeah. it's a fundamental fact. We are facing different challenges. We move through the world differently. And so you may wake up and be like, oh, okay, I want to talk about X, Y, Z. And we'll wake up and like, damn, I got to pull this back and this back and this back and this back and this back. And then I can get to pleasure. And that in and of itself is provocative. From the educational system to the media, to the church, to well-meaning friends and family, 
Messages surrounding sex and pleasure are mixed at best. Does the idea of pursuing pleasure seem foreign, daunting, or forbidden? Dr. Hill suggests you start by giving yourself permission. How can our listeners radically pursue pleasure? Give yourself first permission to pursue pleasure. We assume that everybody has permission. They don't, right? The same way we've been talking about the fact that where did we get the education from? What were the subliminal messages? There's no, there's nobody that gives us permission. Here's your permission. Here's your permission to radically pursue pleasure. I would say that's the first step. The second step is to understand that pleasure is a birthright. I fundamentally believe that we don't have to earn pleasure. Yeah. We don't have to prove our worthiness of it. It's just something that's inherent to us. There are certain parts of our anatomy, specifically as women, the clitoris, for example, its only function is pleasure. That's it. Mm-hmm. They don't have no other function but pleasure. So understand that pleasure is your birthright and then give yourself permission to explore what brings you pleasure. For a lot of people, it's very hard to make that leap to sexual pleasure. Very hard. Yeah. So I say start with general pleasure. What do you love to eat? What do you love to listen to? What do you love to smell? What do you love to taste? What do you love to hear? Then how do you love to be touched? Then what turns you on? So allow yourself to be guided into pleasure. What prevents women of color from having agency and autonomy over their own pleasure? According to Dr. Hill, being conditioned to feel shame about sex and pleasure can be traced to intergenerational trauma, cultural norms, and historical baggage. She encourages women to challenge this conditioning, these messages, in order to take back the power of pursuing and experiencing pleasure. You don't even know how limiting you are Mm -hmm. to your own ability to realize Mm -hmm. that you're not letting pleasure in. It's so Mm -hmm. subliminally Mm -hmm. woven into your existence that it doesn't even cross your mind that you are limiting your pleasure. Yeah. You don't even know that you're a victim. Yeah. And then you feel this massive amount of shame and guilt. That's the whole other thing. One of my good friends, Elisa Boquin, she is a sex therapist as well as a psychotherapist. She works with couples. And she always says that shame, anytime you feel shame or you've heard messages of shame, it you have to ask yourself who and what is trying to control me. Because shame always has the function to control. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're exploring pleasure, shame will come up because we've been conditioned by the forces that be to not have agency and autonomy over our pleasure. Think about it. What messages have you ever heard that pleasure is something that you should bring to yourself as much as you should bring it to someone else? Yeah. Right. Pleasure is something that you should bring to someone else. So that's the first piece. And the second piece of it is historically brown women generally, that's Asian, Indian, Latino, Philippine, you name it, black women specifically. We have not had the same level of agency over our bodies. Mm -hmm. That may seem very far-fetched, but up until 60 years ago, maybe, we didn't even have the agency to have sex with someone who wasn't black. That's the loving law, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So- It's harder. We have more generational baggage, if you will, to undo. So I want to normalize that shame may be a part of the process, but it may be multiplied by 10 or 15 if you have received messages, Mm -hmm. you've received law, legislated, right? This is legislation. As recently as 1967, there were 16 states in the U.S. that prohibited and punished interracial marriages. 
Virginia was one of these states. Richard Loving was a white man. Mildred Jeter was part African-American and part Native American. In 1958, the pair traveled from their home state of Virginia to Washington, D.C. to get married. But within weeks of returning to Virginia, the Lovings wound up in jail. Eventually, their legal case, Loving versus Virginia, resulted in a landmark Supreme Court ruling, which determined that prohibiting the freedom to marry based on racial classifications violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Like at this point, law that have forbade you to have agency over your body, right? That it's going to be hard to move from Mm -hmm. my body belongs to someone else, pleasure is for me to give to somebody else, to self-pleasure. It's a lot of steps in between. And if that is the case, then we do want to do the work to get professional support to kind of overcome those barriers. I tell other clinicians, education is the pathway to pleasure for people to understand. Because some people are like, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling shame? Why am I feeling guilt? Why don't Mm -hmm. I want to touch my body? Why am I disconnected from my body? Well, you may be disconnected from your body because you've been traumatized. Or you may be disconnected from your body because you have intergenerational trauma. Intergenerational trauma is defined as trauma that gets passed down from those who directly experience an incident to subsequent generations. Intergenerational trauma may begin with a traumatic event affecting an individual, traumatic events affecting multiple family members, or collective trauma affecting larger community, cultural, racial, ethnic, or other groups or populations. We take for granted that some people can just connect to their body without all of this stuff. A lot of people can't. Mm-hmm. So part of my work is to say and educate, hey, it's a reason why it's hard for you to get there. It's not because you're dysfunctional. It's not because you're abnormal. It's not because you don't deserve pleasure. It's because you have been systematically conditioned to do so. Yeah. So my role as a provocateur is to help you undo all of that messaging. Just this, like, if nothing more from this podcast, I hope our listeners start to consider what are the beliefs I have and where did I get them? Because honestly, it's, I I hate to use this word, but sometimes it feels like you're brainwashed. You're just hearing messages subliminally Mm -hmm. and through your community, your churches, and they're not necessarily promoting you to have the the healthiest balanced Mm -hmm. body or outlook. So if you start to question, you'll start to begin to maybe consider that you might have other beliefs mm-hmm. or you might, you know, you might want to explore something and maybe you start with yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and then if you get a little bit more brave, then you start with your partner, mm-hmm. you know, and you bring that in, mm-hmm. you know, there's gotta be like, there's a point where you just have to say, wait a minute, is this, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Is this how I want to live? Is there more? I completely agree. And I don't think brainwash is a bad word. I think, you know, what we what you call brainwash, we as clinicians would say conditioning, I would say socialization and not everything that comes at us yeah. is our story. It may be somebody else's. Yeah. There's a lot of complexity around the issue of sexual pleasure. It's not easy to talk about with anyone. Powerful, ingrained belief systems send messages, both subliminal and overt, that affect how we allow ourselves to pursue the idea of experiencing sexual pleasure. 
but pleasure is not only linked to what you experience sexually. It also includes the pleasure you experience in all areas of your life, from the food you choose to eat to the places you travel. If allowing yourself to experience pleasure feels foreign or out of reach, slowly begin by first giving yourself permission to experience pleasure. Then remind yourself that pleasure is your birthright. This is important to your ability to fully enjoy your life. And finally, if it feels out of reach, begin by making small choices that center around what you love and what brings you joy. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Best way is my website. Go to www.drlawandahill.com or any of my social media, specifically Instagram. I am Dr. Lawanda Hill on all my social media platforms. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all that you're doing for our communities, our world. Thank you. Thank you. Like, I believe that even if we touch one person, there's like a ripple effect through the whole world. Completely. Completely. Thank you so much. Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate y'all. Thanks for checking out Together Well's podcast, Mental Health Explored. If you liked what you heard and found the content helpful, be sure to share it. And please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Please remember that if you're looking for a mental health workshop for your community, you can visit togetherwell.org to connect with a mental health professional. A big thank you to everyone on our amazing volunteer team at Together Well for making this podcast possible. Our executive producer is Dr. Michelle Haley, senior producer and audio engineer, Brian Busas, contributing editor, John Hinehan, digital media by Diego Zamora and Heather Cooper, marketing strategy, Rowan Roweni, voiceover specialist, Dr. Matthew Harris, Crystal Little, Mitchell Bergen, and Samaya Devaraju, administrative support from Sakshi Punt and Ranjana NS. I'm Beth Rice, and on behalf of my co-host, Michelle Thompson, we're so happy you're here. Thanks for listening.